Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello guys and welcome back to Adulting. Today I have a very special guest with me. I have Anita here with me. Hello. So you may already follow Anita on Instagram as the Gyna Geek. Do you want to tell us a bit more about what you do? Yeah, sure. So um, yeah, so my name is Anita Mitra. My surname is the Greek word for uterus, um, which is pretty cool because I'm actually a gynecologist. Um, so I work in London and I basically look after women when they're having a baby, um, when they're having problems with their periods, um, problems with their hormones, um, all that kind of thing. And I'm also um, involved in a lot of research, um, particularly about cervical cancer. And I also um, write a blog called gynegeek.com because I just basically realised that there was a lot of misinformation and confusion on social media and online. Um, So I decided to take matters into my own hands. Yeah, definitely. I think what you do is so interesting and so important. I didn't know that about your surname, though. Yeah, I know. It's a bit random, isn't it? Really random. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I love that. So the reason why we're talking about this today on adulting is because... I think, as you said, there's loads of misinformation, but one of the most important parts about growing up is not only realising kind of the external responsibilities you have, like buying a house or getting a car, it's also learning the responsibilities you have to understand your own body. I think one of my most favourite quotes is, your body is the only definite home you're going to have forever, so you need to look after it. And as well, you need to understand it. This podcast isn't just for for girls and women. I want guys to understand female health better as well because I think a lot of the problem is that we need everyone to understand it because if we can't talk about it openly, we can't solve a lot of the issues that go on. That's so true. I definitely agree with that. Because we can't, I think a lot of the problem you face is, well, I now just go on about periods all the time on Instagram to the point where I don't think anyone cares anymore. Um, But I feel like, especially when I was growing up, you couldn't even speak about having a period. You couldn't say the word tampon without going bright red. So if you can't talk about those problems, there's so many more issues related to female health that you can't even tap into. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I remember when I was at school, like if somebody um, didn't want to do PE or something because they were having like a horrible period, their mum would like write a letter saying like, so-and-so will not be doing PE today. Yours sincerely. <laughs> Whereas like otherwise it would be like, so-and-so is not doing PE today because she's hurt her knee. So it was always this like unspoken yeah. thing. And I just think that that's just really crazy i think it's changing oh it's definitely changing i was really naughty at school because if it was a male PE teacher we used to be like we've got our period when we didn't just because they'd get so uncomfortable and we could just run away (laughs) i'm like i'm I'm, I'm, it's like my time of the month and they literally wouldn't know what to do (laughs) which is bad like in either sense it's not great yeah and i remember the most embarrassing thing was if like your tampons fell out of your bag at school yeah are the worst it was just so mortifying and now i just don't care Definitely, yeah. It's a, uh, I, yeah, I think, I don't know, I'm not sure if the taboo's changing or just like I just talk about it all the time and people can't really escape. But I do feel like more and more people are talking about it. So it's amazing that you, for example, talk about it on your Instagram. And like, I saw you wrote something about um, menstrual cups um, the other day and I thought that was great because 
lots of people kind of like see this kind of thing and they're like, oh, I don't really know what that is. I don't really know whether to ask my friends. So it's great that people will just openly talk about it on social media. Yeah, I completely, it's funny because I, I agree with you. I think everyone talks about it, but I think that's just, I now talk about it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, everyone talks about periods. And the funny thing with the menstrual cup is I hadn't really thought about them for years. The first time I saw them, I think in year seven, we went to this like sustainable home, some random oh, wow. woman's home somewhere in the countryside and she had like a, a, a compost toilet and stuff and then afterwards we went to this museum and I remember they had moon cups because I think moon cups are brand isn't it and menstrual yeah, cups I think that's there. the first one I ever heard of yeah moon same cup. and we were all like that is disgusting I remember being like I can't who would wear that that's so gross and I honestly hadn't thought about it until then until now I've got a bit more um environmentally awakened and kind of want to do my bit and now I'm fully converted I think that's also because we've just kind of like been brought up to think that periods are something that you don't talk about. So mm. they're sort of something a bit disgusting. Um, and I mean, there's lots of countries in the world where women are actually shunned when they're having their period um, because it's kind of thought to be this dirty thing. And, you know, there's some religions where women are not allowed to go into... Um, you know, like a temple or whatever when they're having their period because it's like they're Seems dirty. Unclean, yeah. So I think that we need to change that idea and then maybe menstrual cups might seem more acceptable Yeah, as well. I mean, I, I don't think that's the only reason, but I think no. it definitely contributes. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, well, there's loads of things going on at the minute, like talking about periods and with change to do with like period poverty and stuff. Mm. And have you heard of like Amica George's campaign? Yeah, absolutely. Free periods and there's like bloody good period. In fact, for one of my book clubs, we decided to, everyone collect, which is annoying me now because I wish we'd collected menstrual cups, but everyone gave loads of sanitary towels and tampons and stuff to, mm. pull, to collect them for charity to give away, which is amazing. But it's weird because I had no idea about period poverty Yeah, until I think like last year. I didn't even think about it. Yeah, it's a massive problem in the UK actually um, because I think a lot of people are aware that it's a problem in developing countries. Mm. And for example, I work with a charity called Raise the Roof where we um, basically supply uh, reusable sanitary packs to um, girls in Kenya and we've shown that we've increased the um, school attendance and also participation in sport which is amazing yeah. and it's just something so simple that we take massively for granted but actually it's such a problem in this country because there is actually a lot of poverty in mm. the UK that kind of gets swept under the carpet like we're all aware that you know everyone likes to try and do things for charity in other countries but there's so much poverty here yeah and because we don't often, you know, do a lot of fundraising to raise awareness for that kind of thing, I think that's why it maybe gets a bit lost. Um, and so, yeah, there's a statistic. So it's quite shocking, but in the UK, um, there's a study that showed that one in 10 schoolgirls cannot afford to buy sanitary towels or tampons, which is really, like, quite shocking, really, when you think about it. Like, we just pop round to, like, you know, little waitrose. And yeah. I, I say waitrose, you know, intentionally because it's just the irony of the fact yeah. that, you know, we can go to a shop like that and just pop in and buy a pack of tampons. But they're quite expensive yeah, when you think are. about it. Um, and so if you are somebody who has a heavy period, for example, as well, you could be spending, like, 15, 20 pounds a month on um, on sanitary wear. And I think the other problem is, is coming, it all goes full circle. So these girls, not only they can't afford it, but no one feels like you can talk about it. And you don't feel like you have the ability to voice these problems about periods because mm. it's so taboo. Mm. So not only can they not afford it, but they don't know who to go to, who to speak to. It's seen as shameful if you get your period. Mm. And it's really bad because, because periods are so unthought of, I genuinely have never made the link to think women who are homeless 
obviously at periods you think they need food and stuff but you just forget just periods are just so unspoken yeah. about i don't understand what it is so i actually carry like spare pads and tampons in my bag oh, now and i idea. give them to um women and then like, particularly down the road from here there's a lady who i always see um a homeless lady and i absolutely love her because she's so like she's so joyful every time i see her she's like hello um, and i gave her some tampons the first time i was really scared i didn't know how she was going to react if she you know it's just yeah something i'd never done before but she was literally so grateful it was amazing and so every time i see her now i give her some and i just carry them um rather than like giving money or whatever that is I prefer such to a good do idea that. yeah um because maybe also it's something that they might not maybe prioritize to buy for themselves so yeah definitely i guess can... if you need to buy food or water like tampons doesn't come in straight away there's one good thing i think T- tesco's now pays tampon tax doesn't it mm. for you yeah but that's the other thing like they're not taxable they are taxable Jaffa cakes aren't, but really, yeah. Jaffa cakes because they're apparently cakes aren't. You can't put taxes on cakes because it's like for something to do with the war. Wow. Then yeah, I know. Isn't that I crazy? I didn't know that. There no. we go. I learned something. Yeah, I know. Today. Jaffa cakes are tax free. <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, but not just periods. There's so many other things which are taboo, mm-hmm. such as contraception, which mm-hmm. we were having a little chat about earlier before. Because if you follow me on Instagram, you might have noticed that I'm trying out natural cycles. Um, Anita did a post about this. It's quite a controversial thing at the minute. It's quite a hot topic because it it's the appeal of it is that it's it's non-hormonal, which I think now that we're kind of coming out of the woodwork and women are taking more autonomy with their bodies and saying, actually, I want to be more in control. I don't want to be pumping myself with hormones. And for a while, we didn't feel like we had that voice. So these things coming out are great, but there have been kind of conflicting reviews. Yeah, so I think that, um, well, first of all... Um, we are so lucky that we have so many contraceptive options, mm. I have to say. That's the first thing that I've really begun to appreciate over the last few years. Because I... So I work in a central London hospital, um, but we have quite a poor population. So we actually see a lot of women who are coming, um, maybe having their, like, sixth, seventh baby. I've even had people who are having their 13th, 14th. And I think the other day, one of my colleagues said somebody came in and was having her 19th baby. Oh, my gosh. Um, and, you know, we kind of sometimes think, oh, gosh, like, like do you really... How can you handle that many babies? Yeah. But actually, what it is, a lot of the time, um, is these women are not empowered to actually go and seek contraception. Yeah. Um, they maybe don't speak English. Um, maybe... Um, in their culture it's frowned upon to use contraception um but you know so they are getting pregnant um literally because they cannot access contraception so and this is women in central london in 2018 um so we are really incredibly lucky and um, because it is quite dangerous to be having that many um children for for the woman um so Yes, I think over the last few years, I've really seen a shift in pe- uh, people not wanting to use hormonal contraception, which is absolutely fine. Um, but I do feel that there is a bit of misinformation going on, um, particularly in the lay media, social mm. media as well. And that's one of the reasons you know, why I started this whole um, Instagram thing. Um, because obviously every medication that you take has a risk. So people are really worried about, you know, a lot of people are being fed this information that you shouldn't be putting um, hormones into your body. Yeah. There are some risks from hormonal contraception. Um, so when we look at, you know, the pill is the most common kind of contraception. Um, and I'm sure most people listening to this have either taken the pill or know somebody who yeah. has. So with the pill, the main risks are um, there's a slightly higher risk of getting blood clots. 
Okay. That's on the combined pill, isn't it? Yeah, that's the combined pill. Um, but then again, the risk of getting a blood clot during pregnancy, and particularly after delivering, is much higher than the risk of blood clots when you're and on that's the pill. because your natural hormones are so much higher. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, um, you know, it is something to, um, to take into consideration, but you have to think about, you know, what are the alternatives in that respect of what's the risk of a pregnancy itself. Um, there's a lot of talk about um, the risk of changes to your mood, so low mood and yeah. depression. Um, a lot of studies are coming out at the moment. I think it's really, really interesting because there certainly are mechanisms um, whereby hormones can change your mood. Um, but it's really difficult at the moment with the current evidence that we have to say that the pill actually causes That's so interesting. depression. Because I, I definitely wasn't depressed, but I found that when I came off the pill, I felt like a new person. Mm. And I didn't even know that the... I don't know, because I didn't necessarily think I was going to attribute it to the pill, but it, it just made sense to me mm-hmm. that that is what had lifted my mood. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was... Because I don't think I was like, I'm going to come off the pill now and... and I'm going to feel better. It was like a gradual thing and I realised yeah. then that only, the only thing that had changed was the pill. Mm-hmm. So I would be, it would be really interesting to see if there is any like correlation making an actual causal Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, if you, um, if you feel that you're, you know, you're using hormonal contraception, you feel your mood um, isn't um, as it was, um, it certainly is worth stopping it yeah. and seeing what happens, but you can't guarantee it's going to have an effect. But I think as well, we need to have this, um, it needs to be okay to talk about mental health. Um, yeah. And people should be aware that it can happen and that you shouldn't feel ashamed to go and talk to your GP or um, you know somebody at the family planning clinic and just say, I think this is happening because it's not in your head. It can actually happen. And I think we just need some more awareness of that. And I think viewing mental health as well, I think some people think some people have mental health issues and other people don't. But mental health, it's everyone's got mental health. It's like a sliding scale. You could dip into moments where you felt lower, where you felt yeah. better. And I think people go, oh, I don't have depression or that's not me. Or, but, but I think that's the, one of the things that's weird, unfortunately, is, is even the term mental health is quite funny because in itself, that's like a negative. But mm. we all have a yeah, mental that's, health. that's a really interesting It doesn't really make any, any sense for that term. But um, the other thing which I find really funny and ironic is this, you know, they're talking about bringing out the male pill. Okay, yeah. And they're like, we're going to have to spend years researching this because what we don't want is we can't have any side effects. They were like, men who've been trialling this have been reporting low moods, anxiousness, all this stuff that is literally every woman ever has been like, I've had this on... Because I myself had tried about five different pills. Okay. Because I'm just... And my mum was a nurse. I got told us this. I knew that I could go back and like, say I didn't get on sure, with it. Maybe yeah. some people didn't do that, but I registered with every pill that I tried that different things would happen. Uh-huh. And that was just like, you knew there was going to be some side effect. One might clear up your acne, one might give you acne, yeah, one might make absolutely. you fat, might, one might make you lose weight. And every single article about this male pill is like, we can't make it so perfect that there's no side effects. And it's so ridiculous because with women, they're like, take this, might give you acne, might make you gain weight, but, you know, at least you're not pregnant. And with guys, it's like, guys, guys, chill out, it's fine. We, uh, we're going to get you this pill that's going to be amazing. And I just don't it's know why. It's just never going to come out, no. basically, is and it? And there's so much, like, funding trying to make it perfect. And I'm like, this is so sexist, obviously. I know, exactly. Yeah, I don't think that one's ever going to happen. But, and even uh, if even if they made a male pill, I don't know if you trust... Because that's the problem. Oh, I wouldn't trust anybody. No, and this is, I think, one of the things, like, within this podcast, I think it's so interesting that like, as you grow up, you realise, as a woman, you have... Your life, your body is so much more of a, a scary thing than a yeah. guy because you're always going to be one that carries the baby. So no matter what happens, like, I know that it's 
if you got pregnant with someone it'd be both of your child but you're the one that has to carry that and that's literally I think I've lived with like one of my biggest fears in life has always been getting pregnant I remember when I was like 16 I used to think I'd be pregnant I wouldn't have even like had sex I'm like oh my god I'm gonna be pregnant <laughs> all my life and then I remember thinking now I was like oh my god if I got pregnant now actually I could have that baby like technically and nothing it wouldn't be like I'd have to go into hiding and pretend it was like my mum's baby or something <laughs> I could actually fully have a baby and that really scares me because I'm like I'm technically I think my mum's generation everyone had a baby mm. and I just don't know that I'm ready enough to handle that now but the concept that I could have one really really scares me but at least I have to think like think of all those girls in Ireland where mm. they don't have the because I'm pro-choice 100% um, I'm sure I might get a bit of debate on that but I think that is something which as you grow up seeing your privilege and like like you've spoken about I didn't realise I knew there was lack of education on contraception but women falling pregnant that many times is just crazy. I think that part of growing up is realising that that's, you have so much more than you mm. realise, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting as well because you spend your whole teenage years and your 20s trying desperately not to get pregnant mm. and then there's suddenly this kind of wave of like when you turn 30 usually everyone's like oh my gosh am I going to be infertile yeah. and it's really interesting because I think that we do really ignore our fertility until the point that we want to use it um, and that's also something I think really needs to change and I think this is um, kind of like going back to the whole like contraception thing is that um, I think that we just always want to switch everything off and just ignore it yeah and then suddenly hope everything's going to be fine when we want to use it so one thing about going back to the pill yeah is that a lot of people are worried that the longer you use the pill um then it's the, gonna i used to think this affect your fertility yeah. and that's not true actually um because you know if you miss one pill you can get pregnant um so it it just it's active for as long as it's in your system i used to look i remember being like looking up the half-life of a pill because I'd missed it by like so many hours. Yeah, the best thing is not to, uh, not to miss, miss any. When I was at school, I used to be on this combined pill. I can't, I think it was called, was it, no, I've had Sorel, Sarah's that Celeste, that was it. Mm -hmm. And I loved it because it made my boobs so big and me and my friends all <laughs> went on it and we used to take it back to back. You were allowed to, the maximum you could take it was three months back to back before mm -hmm. you'd have to have a breakthrough bleed. We, oh, I wanted to talk about breakthrough bleeds actually as well. So we all used to take it and have absolutely gigantic boobs for like a month and then come off it and they just like for you because you have your how long is it a week break i haven't done it for so long yeah a week and then you go back on it again and you start growing them again and we honestly thought this was the best thing in the world i had absolutely massive boobs it was just because of this pill but the other thing with breakthrough bleeds that's not that's a really interesting because a lot of people don't know that i didn't realize for ages it's not an actual period when you're on the pill is it absolutely so yeah it's called a withdrawal bleed um so it means you're withdrawing from the hormones essentially and that is what happens naturally in yeah. your body um, but rather than withdrawing from your own hormones you're withdrawing from the fact that you don't have the the hormones from the pill that you've been taking um, so yeah a lot of people have heard people calling it a fake period um, and so someone said to me once they said oh since it's a fake period does that mean I actually be pregnant it doesn't matter whether it's a fake period or a real period. If you're bleeding, then you're, you're shedding. You're shedding, so you're not going so, to be pregnant. Right. Um, but yeah, so what happens with um, your normal cycle is that your hormones change throughout the month and you gradually start to um, build up the lining of your womb. And then if you're um, not pregnant, the hormone levels drop um, and that's when you start um, having right. a period. 
So when you're taking the pill, you've got like a stable amount of hormone um, from the pill all month. You stop taking the pill um, for seven days and around the third or the fourth day, that's when your period will start because of the fact that the hormone levels would have dropped sufficiently to make you start so bleeding. the only reason that it's not an official period is because it's not caused by natural hormone changes. Exactly. Right. So that's why people call it a fake period. Right, but it still is the same thing. Yeah, so lots of people, for example, take it if they have um, PCOS, so polycystic ovarian syndrome, yeah. which I think we might touch on a bit Definitely. later. Um, and so I've heard, I've heard doctors um, saying to patients that you know take this it'll regulate your cycles and it really kind of breaks my heart when i hear that because it's not true um the pill is not going to cure the underlying issue that is causing you to have irregular or maybe even no periods at all it's just putting your body yeah. into this kind of like full cycle because once you come off it that's what i read when you come off it was like if you have really heavy bleeds before when you come off the pill you're gonna get those same bleeds again yeah exactly and so it's um <clears throat> It is completely safe to take the pill if you have PCOS. And um, I actually, you know, it, it can be good from a safety point of view as well. Because if you have PCOS, you're, um, you're not having periods as regularly. So can what we happens... quickly explain for people who don't know what polycystic, polycystic ovarian syndrome is? Because yeah. this is something I actually get asked lots about. I actually obviously have no grounds to talk about it. I'm not a doctor or gynecologist. But in within health and fitness, a lot of people suffer with weight gain because of it. Mm -hmm. So often it's a question I get asked. Mm -hmm. So for people who sure. don't know. So polycystic ovarian syndrome um, is, so it's a syndrome. So it's a collection of symptoms and it's different in everybody. So PCOS in one person might not be the same in another person. Um, you need three different characteristics. You need two of three characteristics to have a diagnosis of PCOS. So one of them is having irregular or infrequent periods. So a regular cycle is anything between 25 and 35 days. Okay. So anything outside of that. So it tends to be more on the longer side of things. So yeah. if you're having a period maybe every two or three months, that would be an irregular period. Um, then also having signs of having too much um, male hormone. So it would be having acne. Um, or having excess hair, um, or male pattern baldness as well. Right. Um, and then the third thing is having lots of cysts on your ovaries. Now, lots of people have scans for various reasons, and they'll have their ovaries looked at. If you have lots of cysts on your ovaries, but you don't have any of the other two symptoms, you do not have polycystic ovaries. About 40% uh, of women will have a polycystic appearance of their ovaries. Because okay. that's how you actually get eggs out of your ovaries, is to make little cysts, and then they rupture, and then the oh, egg then comes out. So a cyst okay. is like a little fluid-filled sac. So, yeah, so if you have a scan and it says that, you know, the ovaries look polycystic, don't freak out. <laughs> you need to talk to your doctor, but, you know, if you do not have irregular periods or signs of um, too much um, male hormone, you don't have... Um, PCOS. Okay. So um, lots of people who have PCOS um, may be overweight. Um, now there's a massive debate about whether being overweight causes it or whether PCOS causes you to be yeah. overweight. And I don't think that um, anyone knows the answer and I don't think there is an answer actually. I think that it, as I said it's different in everybody. But one of the reasons why it's associated with um, weight gain or just generally being a bit overweight is because um, you get resistant to insulin. 
So insulin is one of the hormones that you um, need to produce in order to regulate your blood sugar. Yeah. Um, so this is where, th I mean, this is one of the most fascinating things about the body is that all your hormones are interlinked. So we all think that like, your female hormones, so you've got estrogen and progesterone, yeah. we all think that they just like, you know, your ovaries are just ticking away and yeah. no one else is <laughs> having any input. But you know, your um, insulin can play a role, your thyroid can play a role, um, even stress can play a role in your female hormones because it sends signals all the way down the yeah. pathway from the brain to the ovaries. So it's really important. But so when you have PCOS, you make lots of testosterone um, usually. And so if you make lots of testosterone, you, you usually don't ovulate. So if you don't ovulate, you're not making any progesterone. So you've just got estrogen. Okay. So you might feel, um, you know, you get a lot of PMS type symptoms um, and you might um, feel that you, well, you just, you're not getting a period basically every month because of the fact that you're not ovulating, you're not making progesterone. So what happens is the lining of the womb builds up and then when you get a period, it's usually quite heavy and quite painful yeah. because you've had all that time for the lining to build up. So that's why sometimes people who have PCOS are prescribed the pill so that you can, um, as I say, it's not regulating your hormones, but what it's doing is making sure that your body, it, it's not making you ovulate, it's just making those um, estrogen and progesterone levels sufficient so that you will build up a lining, but you'll shed it. So in someone with PCOS, would you give them just the progesterone only pill? No, just so give them the combined pill. Oh. Um, so because the idea is that you actually want to induce a bleed. Um, so you should ideally, if you're not on the pill or if you're using the combined Oh, yeah, because the progesterone only often you don't get, pill, you don't exactly. get bleed. Exactly. And that's fine and that's safe. That's yeah. something slightly different. But the idea with PCOS is that you want to make sure that people are having a bleed and shedding their lining because when you have PCOS, you have a slightly higher risk of getting an endometrial cancer. So a cancer oh, of the okay. lining of the womb, um, you know, later in life. But I hadn't even heard of that, actually. Okay. I must have done. So it's... Um, it's Pretty common but not in people of our age it tends right. to be um sort of um 50s 60s 70s um and what it is is that because you don't ovulate you have a lot more estrogen acting on its own on the lining of the womb so it can get too thick and the cells start to become slightly right. abnormal so the idea of shedding them frequently is what helps you to prevent this so that's one of the rationales you know from my point of view that's why i would want my patient to be on the pill if they wanted to and, and had PCOS, PCOS, not to regulate any kind of hormones. Right. But when they stop taking the pill, they'll be back to the same situation if nothing else in their body has changed. And does it cause discomfort and pain? Or is that endometriosis that I'm thinking of now that's quite painful? So endometriosis is the one that typically um, is associated with pain. Um, periods can be painful and you can get pain throughout the month. But with PCOS, when you do get a period, it often is... Um, bit more painful because the reason like you have periods pain work. is to try and squeeze everything out right. of the womb and so if there's more to shed you're gonna squeeze more it's like when you like wring out like a cloth or something like that you're gonna give it a really good squeeze if it's really wet but yeah. if it's like just a bit damp you just squeeze it a little bit it's the same thing with your period yeah. basically so for women with PCOS there is like apart from taking the pill to maybe help obey the system help lower the symptoms a bit yeah there's nothing really that you can do at the minute that we know of that will 
Yeah, so there's no tablet that's going yeah. to cure PCOS. That's um, that's one thing to be quite clear about. Um, you can, in some women, you can take something called metformin. Um, it's a, a drug that tends to be used for diabetes. Um, and so that can be helpful in women who are um, overweight and are trying to um, get pregnant and want to be ovulating. But again, it's not going to be curing the underlying um, abnormality. So for me the thing that i love to talk to my patients about is what they can do for themselves yeah i'm more than happy to prescribe medications if that's where we get to but the royal college of obstetricians and gynecologists quite clearly states in their guidelines for pcos that lifestyle intervention is the first line of treatment yeah so it's things like um looking at your diet so for example are you having loads and loads of sugar um you know, I think sugar's been really vilified over the last year or two, hasn't it, on um, on social media and just in newspapers and things. But if you're, you know, as I mentioned, insulin resistance is a problem. Yeah. If you're feeding your body loads of sugar, it's going to be going haywire. Interestingly, actually, of coming off that, going the other way, um, what we're talking about this is we're obviously talking about hormones, and one of the things that I think we've spoken about before is. What people don't realise is when you are, the foods that you're eating really affect your hormones and that women especially really need to eat fats for hormone production. And I get girls messaging me saying, is it normal to lose your periods? A lot of people who do, well, I mean, there's a big difference, it's kind of a bit like what you're saying, there's a big difference between health and fitness. The fitness industry Mm. and the health industry are not the same thing. So being, you might see these people that look absolutely amazing, really shredded, look like they're the fittest of fiddle but they won't necessarily be healthy. And the, the um, unfortunate distinction is with social media, you see that so frequently in line with like a healthy lifestyle that you start to believe that that's the outcome of a healthy diet or a healthy mm-hmm. attitude towards nutrition when it's really not. So I wanted to ask you about, because I think you've had an experience where you dieted and lost your period. Yeah, I think this is like something that's really unspoken about. So I know that a lot of people who are like, health and fitness bloggers, Mm. sorry, health and fitness bloggers on Instagram don't have regular periods. And so this happened to me. um, And I didn't have a period for three years, essentially, um, because I was completely overtraining. I was completely under eating. um, And I barely slept and was really stressed. How old were you when this? Uh, I was 26. So you'd done... done your medical degree yeah so i'd finished medical school i was working i, I must have been 27 then so i'm 32 now so a lot of people don't know how old yeah. i am but yeah so I'm yeah, yeah you do look really young i, d- <laughs> I just realized i like, asked you how old you were then i was like it's not gonna make a difference i didn't hold you on now <laughs> no but so like no i think it does um well, make I mean, a because i'm i wasn't that young when it happened and i think that's something really important to be aware of because i get a lot of patients who come to see me and they feel really stupid to say like oh i haven't had a period and then we kind of talk about the reasons why it might not be happening and they feel really stupid and but you know I was a doctor I was 27 years old and I had no insight for about two years did you while think this was anything was up you like shit I, I didn't realize period. to stop with um because I was so busy um and I just was moving house and I was like oh hey tampons oh I haven't used you for a long time oh, really and I knew I wasn't pregnant. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's weird. Uh, and then I just kind of threw them in a box and didn't really think about it. And the other it. thing is, if you are on a pill that stops you getting a period, such as like the progesterone yeah. pill, you might be so low body fat. Because I actually don't know. People ask me when you commuted, did you lose your periods? But I was on um, Sorel 
so I didn't have periods anyway. Yeah. So, so I don't know. You don't know, yeah. I mean, they came, like, when I then came off it, I had them very regularly, but I have no idea if when I competed, like, almost two years ago now, I could have not had them because I was down to, like, 14% body fat. Yeah, exactly. So that's a massive issue. So um, I was doing loads of HIIT training, um, I, literally, like, five or six times a week. It was, And oh, I was God. obsessed. I was really, really obsessed. I had a massive problem. I realise now, in retrospect, like, looking back, but at the time, I just thought, like, oh, I'm so, like, fit and healthy. But I think when everyone gets into fitness, you get so obs- I was like yeah. that. I was like, how the hell did I push myself to do that? Like, now, I'm supposed to, like, health and fitness is my job, but I wouldn't train more than five times a week. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't do it. Yeah, even I don't that, even know like, how I did. Loads. No, I used to train like twice a day. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how low my body fat was at that point. I mean, I was I was never like super shredded, but I mean, I was just put yourself pretty, under so much stress. Pretty like, I mean, you could see like my arm muscles like popping when I wasn't flexing. Just yeah. like when I had my arm like hang down by my side, which you definitely can't now. But um, you know, I I mean, I don't think necessarily low body fat was the reason for me but the reason that low body fat um for women can stop your periods is that you know you make um you make estrogen in your body fat yeah so if you're not if you don't have (laughs) as much um, fat you can't make estrogen um so that's one reason why um overtraining will do it but then yes i was super super stressed so when you're stressed your body gets signals in the brain and it basically is like, right, okay, let's turn this off. We are too stressed to be having a baby right now. Um, and so it just it just shuts everything down. Because the signals to make your female hormones in your ovaries come from the brain. And a lot right. of people don't realise that. And that's why also um, having um, sort of like problems with um, like anxiety or yeah, just being super, super stressed will actually stop your periods. And how, is it dangerous to lose your periods? Is it, so, because then the other thing is you'll get girls who do compete and they write about it quite openly within, if you follow like proper bodybuilders and they don't seem to think it's like a problem. Mm. And on the other end of that, you'll get other people who are maybe like vegan extremists who think like it's good to get rid of your period, which is something I read recently and I could not believe. And it's on with loads of followers. I went to his and she was like, I was about to hear her accent then. <laughs> Such a mean thing to do. But she was basically like, get so good, you get rid of the toxins so you don't have your period. And it's this just really weird idea that like your period's something unhealthy and that you should get rid of it because it's unclean. Yeah, I'm glad you brought both those things up because I have something to say on both. So first of all, let's deal with the um, people who are losing their period because they're competing. Um, no one knows whether it's unsafe, but um, the kind of like gut instinct um, in the reproductive health community is that it it probably isn't a good thing. No. Um, because your your period is stopping because your body's realising something's not right. So you're maybe not eating enough, your body weight is too low, you're overtraining and you're really stressed. So um, the problem with that is that you're not going to be making much oestrogen. So oestrogen isn't just for your um, ovaries and your womb. It basically, one of the main things it does is um, keeps your heart healthy and keeps your bones healthy. Yeah. So during that phase when you're not having your periods, you're not making as much oestrogen. And so your bones can actually become quite weak. Well, this is like, because when women become menopausal, that's why it's really good to do weight training, isn't it? To help your exactly. bones get stronger. But when women are m- menopausal, you more high likelihood of like osteoporosis and yeah, stuff like that exactly and so you've got that phase where you're not um you haven't got as much estrogen and no one knows whether you can actually recover oh, really? that phase in mm. time so if it's only a short period then you know it's probably okay but you know a lot of people 
it might be a very prolonged period and, and we don't really know um, and it could potentially have a problem for future fertility as well um, because if you're not able to get your cycle um, coming back and you're you're then not going to be ovulating that could um, lead yeah. to a problem the thing that you mentioned about veganism um, I do not have a problem with people being vegan I'm part-time <laughs> vegan that's absolutely fine um, the only thing about it is that you can get quite a lot of nutrient deficiencies if you don't do it correctly so if you want to turn vegan be my guest but please do seek um some kind yeah. of professional advice because um so yeah people i've read as well people saying that you know um veganism stops your periods because you don't have any toxins so first of all your period is not to get rid of toxins yeah. in your body and that's going back to the whole thing that it's not a dirty thing yeah um the reason your period stops is, yeah, you're probably becoming undernourished and your body's saying, uh, we're not really getting much uh, in terms of nutrition, so let's just cling on to anything we've got. Yeah. So that's why your period will stop if you become, uh, well, it won't automatically, but if your period stops and you've changed something about your diet or your lifestyle, you've got to look at yeah. that as being the cause. And that's something to be um, slightly alarmed about. So I think it's really irresponsible that people are saying that it's a healthy thing when you um, become vegan because it's not healthy at all no what i just find really sad is that we like obviously your period is a thing that's so natural it's like one of the most not it happens to everything like every female animal right mm. has a period is that right mammal as far as i'm aware i mean i have it's I've been a while since that's i just uh, come out of my mouth and I'm, medicine i'm not even sure <laughs> if that's true now but what i mean is the sad thing is that people are pushing their bodies to such extreme limits and that's such a point of privilege to be able to i don't know i have a really weird thing about food where i think it's so sad that like i know that you probably see stuff like this all the time but you know when you see those stats and it's like <clears throat> there's people starving there's this happening and then we're you have women literally starving themselves with, with and then making themselves sick which is like something i used to do but just this idea when you look at the world like on a broader scale mm. it's just so sad that we put our bodies under such distress when we have such a point of privilege and be able to eat right and kind of mm. do you know what i mean that for me i really find difficult to but I think that that's kind of like what has become, you know, this perception of like um, a healthy lifestyle is has gone a bit OTT. And, you know, everyone wants to like train like an athlete. Well, if you're an athlete, you probably spent the rest of your time when you're not training, eating and sleeping. Yeah. So it's kind of like if you're working, you know, nine to five job and, you know, you, maybe you've got other responsibilities like you know, other hobbies and kids or whatever uh, you know it's not the same as being a no. pro athlete but you a lot literally of train like six hours a day exactly yeah. and a lot of workouts are being promoted as that and you know there's, there's so many people these days doing marathons and like triathlon has become like as you know a saturday afternoon hobby um so we're like really pushing ourselves to the limit and i think that that is one of the problems and when i was um not having a period people were like oh my god you look incredible mm. and i was getting so much positive reinforcement and so to other people i looked really healthy but you know physically and mentally i was my least healthy that i've ever been yeah so it's um yeah it's a tricky one i think that we need to maybe rethink our idea of what is health I completely agree. And I think this is nothing that you do as you, you grow up. You have to unlearn things. I remember when I was younger, I used to genuinely, this is so sad, but I used to be like, I wish I had the strength to be anorexic. That sounds so awful. When I was younger, I literally used to want to be able to not eat. Mm. I used to think, I used to be so jealous of people that didn't like food because mm. I just didn't understand how you could lose weight. And I thought that that was kind of like the be all and end all. And now I love being healthy and I like being fit, but I also understand that I perpetuate another new type of ideal, which is this really athletic body. And I'm nowhere near as lean as I used to be, but I'm still like in quite good shape. 
but the problem is what we're doing is that there's and I know I'm part of this problem it's really difficult because I don't want to be but we put so much focus on on women's bodies and so much stress that you'll there's a this is really awful but there's these like gossip sites that are really nasty that write about like bloggers they never really write about me because I'm not famous enough but <laughs> they've written about my friends and stuff and these people write things like she's supposed to be a fitness blogger and she doesn't even look lean when people are still like look absolutely unbelievable they're just not like 12% body fat and we've now got to the point where it's gone the complete other way and because it's under health and fitness and people are like muscly everyone thinks it's like healthy but all it is it's just thinspo disguised in another Definitely. body and it's so unhealthy and it's really difficult because you have the pressures of it's really there's no definitive form of health it's, some people could be a size six and absolutely tiny and eat the world mm. and other people don't and it's just women's bodies are put under so much pressure for so many reasons and what we've got to understand is that you need your fat like women store more fat I have girls all the time ask me like how do you get bit of that bottom bit of belly fat and I'm like you literally one it's gravity that's why it goes to the bottom of your belly it literally is pulled down yeah. right, by gravity so like there's nothing you can do and you need to store more fat because you're a woman like there's already so much pressure on women's bodies before you've even got to being like, we're open to talk about periods and PCOS and stuff. Yeah. And I think part of growing up is realising that you're more than what your body looks like. You really need to take care of your... You're so programmed to have more fat. And you know, like a few weeks ago, I was in the gym and this woman came up to me and she's like, I'm so glad that even you have back fat. And I was like, I just like jumped down from like the chin up bar. And like for me now, like I'm not bothered about aesthetics. I'm more like, okay, so how many chin ups am I yeah. going to do today? Or like, how much am I going to squat? Um, but I just can't believe she said that to me because if she'd said that to me a few years ago, I probably literally would have gone home and like been like, right, gotta get my fitness pal out and gotta cut those calories. Yeah. And like, I would have really been affected. I just couldn't believe that she said that to me. And, um, it just really, really shocked me. But we are programmed to have, um, more fat than men. That's just how but we are. But it's so funny because I used to be, I used to have a massive thing about back fat, but it's obviously probably even not fat. It's just like wearing a sports while they like yeah, dig exactly. in. exactly. That was like one of my biggest concerns. So I always used to hide it. And now, and then if there was a picture with it in, I'd have to like repose it. And now I... You probably I, had back fat because your boobs were so big from the pill. Yeah, probably. <laughs> no, but I mean, when I was trained, even now, like even when I was really lean, I always had, like, you just can't not squidge. Some yeah, people don't, know, but do you exactly. know what I mean? And then I remember I used to write, then I'd be like, went through this phase of being almost like fake body positive, which is just me really being real. And I'd be like, oh my God, I don't mind. Like, you can see I've got my back fat. And now I just don't say anything. And I just put up videos where you can see different bits of me, like, wobbling. Because mm. I think the other problem is when people then do put up photos or they like, show something, they then have to, like, point it out. Yeah. And, like, I don't think you are being that like, body positive because you've had to be like, I'm a, like it's almost like I know it's there I'm going to tell you it's yeah, there that's so just true. to point out that like I know so you can't yeah. say anything because I just put a video and the more you just get used to seeing women's bodies just being what they're like exactly I think we also need to stop thinking about um, health and fitness as an aesthetic thing and yeah. start thinking about it as a functional thing so as I said like how many chin-ups can you do how much can you squat for example um but also as the fact that you're looking after your body because you want it to function for as long as possible yeah. in the future because you know that that's one of that is the reason isn't it to stay healthy is because you want to lead a healthy active lifestyle for the future so for example I've sort of touched upon the fact that you know women can get thinner bones when they go through the yeah. menopause so one of the reasons why I love women to um, do strength training Making, and yeah. you don't have to go to the gym I just have to say you know I like going to the gym that's my kind of morning meditation to be quite honest with you but yeah you know a lot of people think you have to go to the gym you don't there's loads of workouts you can do at home but 
what you need to be doing is you need to be doing something that is loading your muscles and your joints because that's how you build the strength in your mm. um, in your bones and you want to build strength in your bones so that in the future when you're like 65 70 and you trip over by accident you don't end up with a broken wrist because the reason is we stop producing estrogen which means we stop producing testosterone as well right because men don't have as much risk is that was that did I get that wrong? No, yeah, you're right. Men don't have as much risk, but their hormones are completely different. We still so you still annoying. produce testosterone um, <laughs> oh, okay. when you go through the menopause, yeah. but um, yeah, women are just at a, um, a higher risk and also a higher risk of um, heart disease as yeah. well. Um, and so you know that again is why you're doing it. You want to be able to run around with your um, your children, your grandchildren. Um, you want to be able to go out, um, walk down the road, all those kind of things. I think that we need to start thinking of that as the reason why we um, have a healthy lifestyle, not because we want to look good in a bikini now. And the other problem is people see health and fitness as such a like black and white dichotomy. They're like, oh, someone's fat, so they're unhealthy, and someone's thin. And yeah, this just doesn't so work much. because there's probably people out there like sniffing cocaine and smoking cigarettes and <laughs> drinking wine and doing whatever they're doing, and they look great. And they, you could think they're really healthy, but there might be someone, for instance, with some kind of um, polycystic ovary syndrome or maybe a hyperactive thyroid or something like that, which might make you carry a bit more weight, mm. who eats really well and trains really hard mm. and actually lives a very healthy lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. And I think people don't realise that we attribute, literally think we can just see everything and you really, really can't. You no. don't know... Exactly. If someone's healthy just by looking at them. But that's why I always... So I get a lot of patients who come, like, for example, with PCOS. Um, and they're like, oh, you know, um, my GP said that I need to lose weight. And it's like, well, okay, fine. But, you know, losing weight may help you to um, start ovulating. And it may help yeah. you to regulate your hormones. But I never make that the focus. So yeah, I just say, don't. I always say the best thing you do is don't think about what you're going to lose, think about what you're going to gain. So exactly. I do this with my clients. I'm like, think about how much better your mood's going to feel, how much more volume of things you can eat, because you can eat more if you're eating better. Exactly. And and think about how much stronger you're going to get, whereas everyone puts the focus on losing the weight. And I think the minute you have a negative connotation, as subliminal as it might be, it's just negative. Your your brain really does think like that. If you make everything a positive and like, what am I adding to my life by doing this rather than how much weight can I lose? It's kind of like, what goodness are you going to give yourself? Because when you start to change your, um, you know, what you're eating in that way, it's more fun. You're more likely to stick to it, but you're always going to be adding something that's good. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of, you know, switching things and just, you know, making sure that you're adding something better. Um, and it's the same with exercise as well, because, you know, a lot of people say, like, what's the best exercise for hormones? So, first of all, when I went to see my GP, um, I'm not criticising GPs at all, I totally respect them, but when I went to see my GP when my um, periods had stopped, she was like, oh, what, what exercise do you do? And I was like, oh, well, I lift weights. And I, ju I just started weightlifting at that point, actually. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm such a badass, so check me out, lifting <laughs> weights. And she's like, well, that's why your periods are stopped. Women shouldn't lift weights. Mm. Um, so lifting weights on its own will not stop your periods. I want to go back to the point about the GP because I think this is something really interesting that a lot of people might find. There's areas where if you specialise in something or if you're GP, you don't know certain things. So like a lot of doctors will say they don't know much about nutrition. Yeah. And when you go to the GP, they actually don't know that much about female health is something that I found. Mm -hmm. And as you say, that's not a slight on GPs. It's just that they're a general practitioner. It's not their kind of role. And I think what people don't realise is that you can go to sexual health clinics and gum clinics. Yeah which are free and they're everywhere, if you want advice which you might find more helpful mm -hmm. than actually going to your GP and only getting 10 minutes and only being able to talk about like one thing and yeah. 
and I think some, there's a bit of a stigma about going to a gum clinic. I think a lot of people find that they think it's... Oh yeah, I used to work across the road from a gum clinic and it's so funny, everyone used to do this like sly glance over their shoulder and I always used to want to like high five them and be like, yeah, go on, you be really responsible but I thought that might put people off more. But what makes me laugh so much about like sexual health clinics is you can go there for the pill and I remember going at uni once to get the pill and everyone's looking at each other as if to think like, oh my god, I wonder what you think of me but you're all in there. Yeah, exactly. So everyone is there and it doesn't matter what you're there for and you should really be going to get, especially if you're having sex, you should be going to get regular checkups and just make sure that you know, you know what's going on down there and everything. But it's so funny because you just all get so worried about it. I don't know if that's a British thing, though. I just feel like we're just so mm, embarrassed about I don't everything. Know. Maybe we should go on an international tour and see what the vibe is. In other, yeah. Uh, other well, I know that in, like, in Denmark and Scandinavian countries, they have a lot more relaxed approach to sex and talking about sex. It's so important to go. And, you know... Um, if you think about, for example, chlamydia is the most common um, STI in the UK, but in women, 70% are asymptomatic, yeah. so you won't know you've got it. Yeah. Um, and in men, it's about 50% um, who don't have any symptoms. So there's plenty of people that have chlamydia and don't oh, realise no it. Because so people, I ask people all the time, it's a standard question um, for my patients, like, have you ever had a sexually transmitted infection? And they'll mainly say no. And then I say, okay, when did you last get tested? Oh, I've never been tested. Yeah, I think the thing is with this, so I agree, this complete thing. So I, we actually used to go, like, at uni, you just go and get tested just to make sure, like, on the reg, because you just got to know. Yeah. Um, and I think what happens with loads of people, it's so shameful, everyone thinks it's so mm. embarrassing because you can't talk about sex, everyone's like, I'm just not going to find out. So then everyone, everyone will end up getting something because yeah. no one's getting checked. Exactly. And it's really bad. And like, you should just go, even if you think there's a, I'm a bit of a hypochondriac though. So I love going to the doctor or to any, just for anything. I just always think I'm dying. I'm always self-diagnosing. It's very bad. And I said, actually, I say this and then I'll get my friend. He's like, you're wasting it on HS's money. So I promise I don't get that much. But I just do always think I'm dying of something or other. But yeah, I think not enough people feel that they're able to talk about it or that or that they're too embarrassed or they just don't want to know. So I always say to people that you're not sleeping with one person, you're yeah. sleeping with every person that they've ever slept exactly. with. Exactly. And then everyone's like, oh, that's disgusting. And well, it's unfortunately true. that's how germs get shared. Yeah. Um, so there's nothing shameful about going to get checked. And you know, I know someone who got chlamydia, one of my friends at medical school, and um, when she found out, she's like, oh yeah, I know who gave it to me. And oh, he just looked so clean and he smelled really good. Oh my God. But it's so true because the other thing is, you might have just slept with one person, but as you said, so I think there's this idea, and I hate slut shaming anyway because I don't think the word slut should be a thing, but this idea, especially if you're a girl or someone or something like that, and you feel like if you got an STI, you'd be, or people judge you. But the thing is, it's so true you don't know who you've slept with you yeah. both might both just slept with like one other person who both slept with four other people who slept with 20 people it doesn't matter it's like i think it's something that just needs to be spoken out more and mm. people should just go and get regularly tested and not be i think it's part of your responsibility when you get older to realize that you've just got to do these things yeah and it's it's so important because you know if you have undiagnosed um stis and chlamydia really is um one of the most troublesome um, it can cause massive problems. Yeah, it can cause, like, so it can cause problems. you to have problems with fertility, and also um, it can kind of cause scarring inside your um, pelvis, and right. so it can um, cause a lot of pain as well, chronic yeah. pelvic pain. Um, so it's just something that it's better to just find out. You can take some antibiotics, and it will go. There is a chlamydia screening program, um, and it's for 16 to 24 year olds because that's the commonest the age. Yeah. Um, and so it's suggested that you should um, get screened every year or every time you change partner. So, you know, 
there is there are things out there and it is accessible but you need to actually go and do it yeah and then after that age then you know everybody um when you're um changing partner um or just you know you think i haven't been for ages you should go and get checked um we normally say you should leave about two weeks um from the episode of um, unprotected sex so that you don't get a false negative so a false negative means that the test comes back as negative but you do actually have um, the disease yeah so yeah definitely go and get an STI check and if I see you I'll just smile I won't high five you as you're going in (laughs) (laughs) so on the topic of periods which is my fave so if you guys follow me on Instagram you might have seen that I posted that I've just started using a menstrual cup and I it has revolutionized my life and I know this sounds really first of all I was quite excited I genuinely was excited when I when I got it because I was like I'm really excited to see what happens and you're like when's my period yeah I was like waiting I showed everyone I showed my housemate who's a guy he was like what's this I was like oh wow this is my new menstrual cup and he was like oh my god just so it and my boyfriend I've literally told everyone which is really fun I actually make a point of like telling the guys that I know just about stuff because then they just kind of get used to it and then they're just like, because I said something in front of someone the other day in front of my housemate, and they're like, oh my God, David, he's like, I literally know her cycle now, because she just tells me all the time. I'll be like, I'm PMSing today, or like, I'm stressed. But yeah, with the menstrual cup, I was so interested. So this might be a bit TMI, but you don't... Never TMI. Never TMI. <laughs> but you don't know when you've got a tampon in how much you bleed. Like, you can't see that. So I was actually fascinated that over the course of my cycle, you can see how it changes um and like tying that into kind of natural cycles and stuff you don't need an app to look at your body there is ways that you can start to tune in with yourself so you know that you're coming to the end when it gets a bit darker and a bit thicker and at the beginning it's just like a lot thinner and maybe brighter but what is really funny i think because in films and stuff and what guys i think guys think you literally like gush blood yeah, and then it's like a waterfall. But if you see the size of these cups, they're like it looks a bit like someone said to me, which is quite funny because I love eggs. It looks like an egg cup. Yeah, it's kind of like the size of it, like a rubber egg cup, and it doesn't like fill up or anything. No, and it's really because I just think I just had no idea. And now that I've used it, I now think like tampons are actually quite they gross me out a bit. Like the idea of it, and also apparently they're actually they have chemicals in them which you don't. They're not like natural things. They might not be that great for the, your. Yeah, there's not a lot of evidence to support that. Like, there's not a lot of scientific evidence. Um, I mean, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow and her Goop website, she's always going on about, you know, how, like, tampons cause cancer and all this kind of jazz. Oh, my God, I haven't actually seen that. But, you know... you know, obviously there's no conflict of interest because she's selling organic tampons. Oh, I see. <laughs> um, if you want to use organic tampons, that's absolutely fine. But I don't think anybody should be made to feel that they're doing something wrong to their body. Right. Some people say that they find they're less irritating because, if uh, you know, sometimes tampons can cause you to feel a bit itchy and irritated. Um, so, yeah, by all means, switch to an organic one if you fancy it. But to be honest with you, I think that you shouldn't be... I think there's like an orthorexia. Um, around yeah. like health products and like no one should be made to feel that they're doing something wrong by I using agree. a non-organic tampon um, you know probably walking down the street in London uh, like you know Oxford Street isn't that one of the most polluted yeah, streets in the world so I think that's probably worse than using yeah. a normal tampon to be honest I just thought that was interesting because I just hadn't heard that before um, but it was more that for me I was like the thought of it actually just sitting there and like I don't know, I just suddenly thought that a menstrual cup, one, it's cleaner, it's cheaper, mm. and it's reusable. So yeah. there's just, like, so many pros to it. And I haven't had... To, I do. I have heard that people have difficulty putting them in. In fact, a few women who commented on my post were like, I tried, it, tried one years ago mm-hmm. and didn't get on with it. So I don't know if maybe they've been... Because it's suddenly they've come back in fashion now, 100%. Like they, I yeah. feel like you didn't hear about them for a bit, and then now... 
Yeah, I remember when Moon Cups first came out and I remember seeing them advertised in the toilets at uni and I was like, what is this thing? Um, anyway, I mean, I um, I have one now and I was a bit, I have to admit, I was a bit surprised at how much you have to be kind of like really into like getting up there when you use it. Because um, you have to, like, you have to do some kind of like origami to put yeah. it up there. But it's really easy and there's loads of videos online um, and it's it's really not as difficult as it sounds. Um, but yeah, you have to be happy to kind of like put your fingers, um, inside your vagina to put it in. Um, and then you kind of like push it gently in and then it just like releases. And, um, you know, sometimes people might feel that they're not opening properly inside, but actually, um, they will kind of like throughout the day get a bit sucked up and opened up, um, just by the pressures inside yeah. the vagina. But taking it out, the first time I took mine out, oh my God, I literally nearly like gave myself a hysterectomy because I was like, I was like, <laughs> And I was literally pulling because it makes a, it can make a vacuum on your cervix. And so I was probably pulling my uterus out, basically. Um, like so, a plunger. Yeah, because I thought you just pulled the like the little knob in on the end. Yeah. Um, but no, that, that pulls your insides out. So don't do that, guys. So what you need to do is you do, again, need to put your fingers inside your vagina. And you kind of... Um, I mean, it might not be the same for everyone. Maybe this is just my grabby service. Yeah. But you need to, um, you need to kind of like break the vacuum. So what you do is you like squish the sides of the cup together again, and you'll kind of gently, you'll feel the vacuum break, and then you pull it out. Um, also, thoroughly recommend doing it in the shower the first time, um, because you can end up with a bit of a mess. I feel really awkward about this, but basically I'm not trying to boast, but I'm like really good at it. Like, so you're like, you're like I, a menstrual cup pro. I literally, like I got it. I put it in. I messed it because I got sent it by the company and I messed it like, oh my God, I love it. And then like, did you like, it's quite difficult to put it in. And I was like, no, let's just fold it and put it in. And then again, I don't mean to boast again, but I have really strong pelvic floors. <laughs> I've spent like a lot of my life doing Kegel exercises. I'm and doing mine now. To get, yeah, I do it all the time. I always do it in cues and then you're like looking at people. I literally just like kind of push it out. <laughs> you get different sizes. Um, yeah. So that can affect how um, how it fits. And also I think a lot of them these days are a little bit thinner. So that, you know, it's made of like a silicone type mm. stuff. And I think that um, how thick the silicon is probably um, affects it. But I mean, I really think that it's an awesome thing to try Same. i took one on a trip um and it was amazing because you know normally you kind of like oh how many tampons am i going to need for the trip yeah um do i have enough pads where am i going to like stash them or whatever and it's just so easy so i mean i'm a massive advocate i get a lot of messages from people asking me if they're safe um there's absolutely no evidence to suggest that there's any um safety issues with them at the moment maybe that will change i don't know do you still need to make sure that you are emptying it and cleaning it um, yeah. every um, six to eight hours? Um, so tampons can cause something called toxic shock syndrome. Yeah. Um, and it's caused by a particular kind of bacteria that can grow. But um, that I've definitely read at least one case study where it has happened with a menstrual cup. Oh, really? Um, so it's just really important, whatever you're using, to just make sure that you... You'll um, change it. You're changing it, yeah. And absolutely. then you have to like wash it probably and sterilise it afterwards at the end yeah, of the so, cycle. Um, yeah, so hot water, yeah. Um, and yeah, talking about sizes, because this is what some people ask me. So basically the one that I have, they said that you get like one for under 16 who haven't had sex, one for under 25 that haven't given birth vaginally, and then over 25s who have given birth. Mm -hmm. That was like the three sizes they have. Obviously there'll be some scope for like variation yeah, in there. absolutely. But that's like the basic. So like what, if you've had a child it. or whatever, there is like a different size that would work for you because it's not going to say the same for everyone. Yeah, and that's just to do with the change in the size of your cervix potentially. Yeah. But I mean, 
even people who've never had a baby can have a slightly bigger cervix so yeah you just have to you have to try it and see um also a couple of people asked me before about whether you can um, use it with a coil um and i've read on some of the instruction leaflets it says no um because it could pull it out but this is a thing i'm just not really sure how you're going to pull the coil out with the with the menstrual cup i mean i remove coils quite often i love it it's so satisfying um but i just i really don't understand how you would manage to do it can with you explain the... to you quickly how you put a coil in because i'm so this is why i won't get a coil because my friend had it done and they put it in wrong okay and then she bled for like three months and all of our friends are like i'm never getting the coil oh there's so many horror stories about coils but they can be amazing there's two different kinds of coils um so there's a hormone coil and then there's marina a one um yeah it's called a marina and there's um two other kinds that are out in the uk now called jades um and um kylina they're a little bit smaller, but they only they last the for three years rather than ones. five. No, so they're also hormone coils. Oh, okay. They're just a bit um, smaller. Um, and then there's the copper coil, which doesn't have any hormones. So that how one's getting that really popular. Um, how does it work as contraception? Yeah. So it basically, um, the copper is toxic to the um, sperm. Oh my God, really? That's so Yeah, and it causes a bit of irritation so that you, um, if... Um, there was like some kind of uber sperm and he managed to get through and fertilize an egg the egg would not be able to implant so that's how it works oh so not only does it like if it kills the sperm it kills the sperm or just puts them off yeah and then if it does get in you can't implant exactly either so that's how it works um and it can also be used as emergency contraception a lot of people don't realize that the copper coil only not the hormone coil the copper coil you can use up to five days um after having unprotected sex um and it's very very effective um but uh yeah so it, it does make your periods a bit heavier though which is why a lot of people don't oh, so like do you get, it you get periods on the copper coil yeah you get periods on the copper coil they're often a bit heavier and a little bit more painful and that's the commonest reason to have to um to ask to have it removed earlier i think one of the reasons that people are embarrassed to go to um talk to a doctor about something that's going on down there is because they're not really sure to say like where it is yeah we do really misuse the word vagina um the vagina is literally the most people are like i've shaved my vagina (laughs) you (laughs) haven't please don't shave your vagina people um yeah i don't know how you get a razor in there anyway it'd be quite painful yeah it would um but no that's just the inside and yeah you're right the vulva's the outside i did a youtube video about this um a while ago oh, did you? yeah just kind of explaining all the different parts and because sometimes i get people who come and they're like oh i've got a problem and it's and they try and like give me this explanation and i just kind of say like should we just have a look yeah and it's definitely not where i think it is and that's not their fault it's just that we are not good at using the, the proper words yeah i just don't think you're educated and uh, like enough about it either yeah. like in school and things exactly just not really talked about and i think that's something you have to learn that you just got to go out and and learn about these things and with like so that's part of growing up and <laughs> i'm trying to bring this back to other things we're just getting so into talking about vaginas and vulvas <laughs> need to bring it back bring it back notes but yeah so part of growing up as well we said this like thinking about having a baby and i was just saying to anita kind of off air that i now would imagine myself having a baby quite maybe a bit later in life than say like my mum's generation would have done and and I've, like there's so many things I want to do and I think a lot of women are more career women now and they want to spend a bit more time working before they decide that they want to take time off to have a child but in terms of fertility I don't really actually know what my options are or there's even these companies that are trying to incentivize women to freeze their eggs which is really problematic mm. um I think just because it makes you feel like you have to 
like you're kind of in in, because it's really expensive to do that isn't it yeah so expensive yeah and so like if they're saying that you're kind of like off you really can't refuse um i think because as i mentioned i'm 32 and you know most people have the average age actually in this country to have your first child is 30 Mm. Um, and most of my friends have got children a couple of them got two and one of my friends actually pregnant with her third baby Um, and I think a lot of my friends when they turned 30 they were like oh shit we need to start having a baby because there is this kind of like I think people get quite frantic Mm. um, and there isn't really a reason to become frantic but um, I think a lot of it is born through the misinformation around so first thing to be quite clear about is that fertility is not declining okay it's just that we're choosing to have children later um and i think it's really interesting because you were discussing in the um the podcast with your mum about like how financially our generation is completely different to our parents so i think one of the reasons is career but another reason is that we're not as financially stable as our parents were um and you know a lot of people are really struggling still at my age to um buy their own place yeah Whereas that was not an issue, um, you know, a couple of years, decades ago. So I think that's one of the reasons. Um, So fertility tends to decline from about 35. You will, obviously, you know, every every year that you age, you know, your fertility um, is technically declining because you're losing eggs. Um, But it's really from 35 that we say that that's when but once you've had, isn't it? If say you already had a child, yes, then you're it's easier to have another one, isn't it? Uh, Was that not not necessarily? No, it's just no. um, There's no superpowers from a baby, unfortunately, Uh, when it comes to fertility. Um, But um, well, I guess it kind of is a way of confirming that you don't have any problems. Um, Oh, I see. But I think also there's a lot of um, companies out there that are offering people fertility tests, and I really it really upsets me because I don't think that people should be. you know, have this idea that they need to have a test for their fertility. Because I get lots of patients who are like, I think I want to start having, um, uh, you know, start trying to get pregnant. So what do I need to do? And I'm like, well, you need to have sex. Yeah. (laughs) And they're like, oh yeah, but do I not need like a blood test or a scan? And I'm like, no, just go and have sex. So when it comes to infertility or subfertility, so problems with getting pregnant, 30% are female factors, 30% are male factors, and the rest are unknown and probably 50-50 male and female so it's not like a one-woman show yeah this is the problem it's always everything to do with i mean it's the great thing and the the difficult thing about being a woman is that so much of it is like you're the one that carries the child you're the one that's expected to like lose Mm. fertility Mm. i think this is just so much pressure put on on women's bodies more than any guy ever realizes and you like are born with this just pressure yeah and you just it's like it's just always there and you're never really and then i thought i was talking to my friend about it and we were like Actually, a guy will never understand how much weight it carries to, for instance, have like unprotected, unprotected sex or something like that. They just mm. will never understand how scary that could feel. Mm. And yeah. it comes, it's the same with fertility. For some reason, you're right. I think everyone always assumes it's the woman. Yeah, totally. Because, I mean, I do, um, I'm not a fertility expert, but we do um, fertility clinics um, in my department. Um, and, you know, we're just doing kind of like the initial assessment and doing further investigations. But the men get really shocked when I turn to them. So I like talk to the woman, go through her history and get all the information I need. And then I'm like, so let's talk about you then. And they're like, oh my gosh. Um, which is really interesting yeah. because yeah, it's it's a two way street. It's, yeah. It takes two. Um, but you know, male, male fertility is actually declining. There's been some um, studies that have shown that because of various lifestyle factors, 
uh, sperm counts are going down. That's so interesting. So men do need to make sure that they are equally as healthy as women. So that's why there's no reason to do any kind of tests to start with because you know you could have a blood test to look at your ovarian reserve for example that doesn't really help you you could have a um a scan to look at your ovaries again that information doesn't necessarily help you because that's not the only thing that's going to get you pregnant and the thing is as well that if you're doing those kind of tests is that going to change your management so something we always get taught in medical school is if you do a test is the information that you get from it going to change your management so if you were, say, 25 years old, you, you haven't met anybody yet, you've got no intention of having a child, what's the point in checking your fertility? Because yeah. is it going to make you frantic and start looking for a man? Or, you know, what, what relevance does it yeah. have to you at that point? So we really just recommend that people just start trying to get pregnant. Um, and then if after a year of having regular sex, you're not getting pregnant, then you would need um, further investigations. And in terms of just like what you, because you wrote a post on International Women's Day, mm -hmm. and you said that one of your colleagues, I think, said to you, you're not going to try and kind of have a baby, and this pressure on women, it's kind of like the expectation that if you're, I want to do another episode on this as well, but I think when you're growing up, you, you have this belief that at some point, you know, you're going to be a mum and you're going to do this. Whereas the guys, you could quite happily be single like into your mid-40s and no one's going to be that worried. There's not that same pressure. Whereas yeah. as a woman, everyone's like, when are you having babies then? And like, I, I think it starts at like your late 20s, 30s. Like everyone starts. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of pressure on that. And a lot of my friends um, who um, are married, they're all like literally like a week after the wedding. Everyone's like, so when are you having a baby? Yeah. And I think that we have to be a bit careful about this. Um, and you know, I, I had a lot of people coming up to me and talking to me um, at work who saw that Instagram post. Um, and they were like, oh, but you know, she doesn't know. You might actually be like struggling yeah. with fertility problems. So true. Or, you know, maybe like the man of your dreams just broke up with you. Well, actually the man of my dreams actually just um, proposed to me at the weekend. But oh, you know, <laughs> I've literally been staring at your ring oh no I did know that it's yeah. unreal by the way I literally I just can't stop looking at it well done thank you he did well but you know well. people just make these flippant comments and they don't know what might yeah. actually be going on inside and you know I have friends who one of my really close friends actually had a lot of miscarriages before she conceived um, her first child and she f said to me that what the worst one of the worst things about it was just people constantly watching her for pregnancy behavior. So mm. like, was she drinking? Was she like eating like That's salami awful. and all that kind of thing? And I think we have to be really careful because you, you don't know what's going on with somebody. And it can be really traumatic if you are having problems with fertility um, or, you know, problems with miscarriages. But also we shouldn't just assume that that's what everybody wants to do. Yeah. And I've had a lot of people saying things like, you know, Anita, you're not that young anymore. You need to start thinking about this. But it's like, well, I have thought about it. I don't need to be lectured yeah, about it. Yeah, I'm sure it, you thought about I it. I also exactly. don't need to wear my, you know, my fertility intentions on yeah. on my chest. No. So it's something that I think we need to be more sensitive about. It should be okay to talk about problems with the fertility, um, but we shouldn't just I think there's a bit that... of shame around it. I think oh, there's such a definitely. stigma. It's like, 
I think that you feel like if people think that if you can't conceive it's like a shame and like you're not worthy and you're not it's a really archaic idea that like this the woman if it is the one can't produce a baby like as if it's like we're in royal family or something and it's like years ago and you've got to produce like the prince it's just a really weird idea and also saying my sister's like 30 and 28 she's gonna kill me if I bought that wrong I think she's 29 (laughs) yeah the other one's 30 but I remember when I was younger thinking that was odd they're so young they're basically I'm 24 but they feel the same age as me Mm. like I just don't think 30 is old anymore and the fact that that's meant to be an age like I don't think I'll be ready to have kids when I'm 30 still I just don't understand where this I know that it's a number but it's just that really weird thing where we've just gone 30 oh yeah I don't think you feel um I don't think you ever feel ready I mean I don't know but that's what all my friends tell me and I think as well like when I turned 30 I was kind of like oh am I I meant to feel something yeah or is something meant to like switch and I don't know I mean for me like I went to university for eight years and I felt about 22 or 23 the whole time the whole time and then even afterwards as well i still felt very young um and also because a lot of my friends at that point had got married and and were starting to have children i was just kind of like the young one i agree this is so funny so i i did a gap year and then i changed my course and i was at uni longer but literally when you're at uni it's like a time capsule yeah definitely. like you just don't because you're not in the real world you're like in between being like into your work and stuff and just there's no age just does not mean anything because no. you can be in a different and I've got friends who like already have a baby who are already in really serious relationships and then I've got other friends who like have gone back to live at home or at uni, or at uni and we're all the same age but we're all at such different points in our life mm. and I think that's one of the really difficult things actually about when, when you like get to the stage in life because no one's doing the same thing yeah I think that's one of the things I found hardest actually because I was like gosh I still feel like really young and um I don't know if immature is the right word, but I, I didn't really feel my age. And I remember um, when, I remember being about like 28 or 29 and thinking like, gosh, when I was 18, I thought that like a 28 year old was like yeah. really, really like a proper adult and totally had their shit together. And just thinking like, God, I don't feel any of that. No. Um, so yeah, it's quite an interesting one, isn't it? But I think that, yeah, for women, it's much harder because there is that fertility yeah, expectation. I agree. I think the funny thing is as well is I I used to think the same, but then I do look back at my 18-year-old self and I'm like, God, you were so stupid. Yeah. And so naive. I think that's normal. So I think you do, I think you do get more mature, but it's just every time you're in that age, you just don't feel like, I think we put so much pressure on ourselves, you never feel like you're fully doing it properly. Yeah. Which probably are so much more mature. I don't know, I completely get what you mean. It's really funny. At every age, I think you never quite feel like you're yeah. hitting the quota that you're I, supposed I to be hitting. I still don't really feel like an adult, but I guess I am now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but there's not, not really like a sudden switch it yeah. just kind of I think it just gradually um happens but I don't know I mean I don't think it matters as long as you're enjoying life it doesn't matter yeah, how exactly. old you are or how old you feel no I completely agree okay so Anita I absolutely love talking to you we yeah, have discussed awesome. literally the ins and outs and <laughs> mainly the ins everything in between <laughs> which has been amazing so just to round off the podcast I want to ask you obviously a very successful woman you're doing amazing things oh, thank you. and I want to ask you what your one piece of advice you give to anyone who's out there in their 20s 30s whatever age they are and they're maybe struggling a bit to get to grips with adulting what would be your takeaway piece of advice yeah, I mean, I think that that's very kind of you that you think I'm very successful, but I mean, I really don't think I've got anywhere close to what I want to achieve at the moment. Um, but, you know, as someone who didn't get into medical school, um, I didn't um, get onto the um, Obs and Gynae, um clinical training program the first time I tried. Um, but I'm kind of, you know, I'm doing it now, obviously, and I'm doing what I want to do. I just think my biggest piece of advice is just 
if you believe that it's something that you want to do, you can do it. You just yeah. have to keep pushing. And I think a lot of people say like, oh, you're so lucky, like this happened to you. And I'm like, no, I'm not lucky. I put myself out there and I went and asked for opportunities. I begged people to um, give me opportunities and let me do things. Yeah. And I mean, I obviously got turned down for things and you know people were like yeah you're not really going to be able to do that are you but i just i believed in it i wanted to do it so if you have the belief you'll find a way i think that's such good advice and thank you so much for coming on i've absolutely loved it thank you and i'm sure you guys will all have loved it as well if you want to follow anita on instagram it is you do you say gyne geek or gyne geek gyne geek is so g-y-n-a-e-g-e-e-k okay and then i'll put that in the um notes as well yeah and she does some really fun stuff and if you have any questions please feel free to leave a review or you can email me inquiries at the tiny tank.co.uk or i've just remembered we've got a po- we've got our own twitter now it's adulting underscore pod so that's at adulting underscore pod if you want to ask any questions thank you so much for listening and i will see you next week bye bye podcast you just heard was recorded with anchor if you want to make your own download the android or ios app completely free from anchor.fm slash podcast that's anchor.fm slash podcast